a few moments, I want to speak around the subject, United We Stand, Divided We Fall. It's found in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. Let me read that in your hearing, and then we'll get into our text for today. I'll read from verse 1 to 12 so that you'll get the full scope of the passage. Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors, there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore, I praise the dead who were already dead more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Again, I saw that for all the toil and every skillful worker, a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. The fools fold their, folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full, together with toil and grasping for the wind. Then I returned, and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone with, without companion. He has neither son nor brother. Yet there is no end to all his labors, nor his eyes satisfies with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For they fall. One will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? The one may be overpowered by another. Two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. United we stand, divided we fall. The book of Ecclesiastes is a sad sequel to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs primarily consists of wise saying Solomon teaches his children that they may live godly and peaceful lives. But in Ecclesiastes, Solomon laments the fact that he has played the fool and failed to take his own device, advice. Ecclesiastes chapter one, verses, uh, chapter one, verses one to two reads this. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, Vanities of vanities, says the preacher. Vanities of vanities, all is vanity. 
Ecclesiastes is a sermon that warns us not to waste our lives on worthless things. And it exhorts us to live a godly values, eternal significance, and spiritual priorities. Our text is a part of Solomon's instructions for living a meaningful life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 to 12, Solomon teaches that in order to live a life that counts, you must learn to value relationships over possessions. Somebody ought to say amen to that. You must value people more than things. You must find joy in fellowship, not pleasure. And Solomon makes this point in a simple, clear, and direct statement. Two are better than one. Contextually, this passage stands in stark contrast to surrounding passages in verses 7 to 8. Warms that selfish isolation from others is vanity. And in verses 13 to 16, it warns that superficial fame is vanity. Between these extremes... Our text teaches a practical principle for a meaningful life. Two are better than one. Unfortunately, there are times when one is hurt, betrayed, or forsaken by another. But Solomon does not address or even acknowledge these obvious contradictions to the stated principle. He simply declares, the point and allows it to stand on its own. Two are better than one. Indeed, this is countercultural to our society today. That principle, the power of one. And you know, we celebrate that, the power of one. And many people virtually actually worship their privacy. But scripture does not join us in exaltation of individualism. Proverbs 18 says it this way in verse 1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. In other words, isolation from others is both selfish, foolish, and ungodly. In creation, the first thing God said that was not good was that the fact that man was alone. God created us for community. God created us that we might connect with one another. God created gaps in our souls that we need one another. God said it was not good for us to be alone. And sadly to say, some of us still live in a life of isolation. Mm. It teaches, this text teaches us that two are better than one. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 to 12, Solomon gives us four reasons why two are better than one. Can we press on? Amen. It's right here in our text. It's right there in the Bible. The first point he brings up, two are better than one when you are at work. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, 
uh, verses 10 reads, if iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. The point of this verse is that it is better to work smarter than harder. And our text gives a simple way to work smarter. Don't work alone. Verse 9 says that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. The word toil or labor speaks of hard work and diligent labor. This is not a picture of a person sitting in a cubicle, goofing off, wasting time, and doing nothing. It is not a person who is working hard to, do, to, to not to do any actual work until they get off. Rather, the term describes an agricultural worker in the field. His work, he works hard knowing that if he does not toil in the field, there will be no harvest. He knows that if he does not labor in the field, his family will starve. This reminds us that cultivating meaningful life is hard work. Doing right is hard work. Getting an education is hard work. Being, a success, being successful in career is hard work. Nurturing a godly marriage is hard work. Raising responsible children is hard work. Doing the work of ministry is hard work. Sharing your faith with others is hard work. Making a commitment to community and staying in it is hard work. Solomon says that, listen, you don't have to work hard. You can work smart. And to work smart is to work with others. The assumption of the text is that a meaningful life is hard work. But the text is telling to teach us that you can accomplish more when you work together with others. It is said that the late novelist, Alex Haley, had a piece of art in his office with a turtle sitting on a fence. And when someone would ask him about it, he would explain that if you ever see a turtle sitting on a fence, you know it had some help getting up there. And when he would begin to think about how marvelous he was, he would look at this picture and remind himself how he got to where he was. And when you see someone who has accomplished something significant in life, know that they did not get there by themselves. They had some help. Hallelujah. We are here right here in this sanctuary, because we had some help. There's some people that went before us. Our mamas, our daddies, our grandmothers our grandmother went before us and paved the way that we might be in these pews right now. And we ought to give God some praises. Every time I think about where I'm at and the opportunities I have, I thank God for those that have gone before me I walk, I live, I breathe because somebody else made a sacrifice that we might be here right now. And Solomon declares 
that two are better than one when you go to work. It's amazing how when folks can go to work for the wrong reason, they can get a lot accomplished. It's found right there in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. The Bible records the story of the first skyscraper, which was never completed. After the flood, God commanded the people to spread out and replenish the earth. But in prideful rebellion and sinful unbelief, they decided to stay together and build a tower that would reach into the heavens. And the Lord came down personally to put an end to it. Let us go down, declaring that nothing would be impossible to them because they worked together. The suggestion of that story is that even the wrong plan can accomplish much when people work together. How much more is that when a group of believers get together to do the will of God and the work of God, how much more when people come together in community, touch and agree, and believe God, how much more can we do for the kingdom? Solomon says, two are better than one when you go to work, for you get a greater reward for your labor. But not only that, not only that, our second point, Solomon says, two are better than one when you have fallen down. Verse 9 makes the point that two are better than one with the picture of a laborer in the field. But verse 10 and 12, it's right there in the Bible, makes this point with a picture of a traveler on the road. Specifically, verse 10 addresses a common thread that every person who stands and puts one foot after another faces, you may fall down. You would think that Solomon would have written this as a definite reality when they fall. Instead, he simply speaks of it as a possible scenario. If they fall, in fact, it makes the fact all the more difficult to avoid. You may fall down. No matter how experienced you are walking, you still may fall down. No matter how skilled you are at walking, you still may fall down. No matter how careful you are at walking, you still may fall down. No matter how much Greek or Hebrew you know, you still may fall down. You may be the first one at church every Sunday morning. You still may fall down. You may know the Bible backwards and forwards, and you still may fall down. That is the truth. That's the reality of our Christian walk. First Corinthians says it like this. In verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 12, it warns, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, the person who thinks or, or, or he or she uh, thinks that they are exempt uh, is actually the leading candidate to fall. 
I know you think that you're all of that and a bag of chips. You got the t-shirt and the coat to prove it. But all of us come short of the glory of God. All of us can fall in here. All of us drop the ball from time to time. All of us messed up. All of us miss the mark from time to time. Oh, do I got any folks that's willing to take their halos off and raise up your head? I have failed. I've messed up. Woo! <laughs> that's all right. Mmm. Mmm. You need to mark it down. You are prone to fall sometime along life's journey. And note that verse 10 does not specify how one falls. He doesn't say you may fall if you're not careful how you walk, or if you walk in the slippery places, or if an enemy pushes you down. The text simply says that along life's journey, you may fall. That is, you and I are not exempt from failures in life. All of us will fall at some time or another. And the news go from bad to worse. You can fall so hard and so low that you cannot get up again on your own. This is not just a slip or a stumble. It's a picture of total collapse. And the point is that there are some failures, some mistakes, and errors in life that you can't recover from on your own. Galatians 6 says it this way, brother, if anyone is caught in, any, in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. The church are not to be a place that kicks people when they're down. It ought to be a place that picks fallen people up and puts them back on their feet and help them get on the right track again. We ought to be in the business of restoration and not amputation. Somebody needs to tweet that. The church ought to be in the business of restoration and not amputation. But not, no, the Galatians says something very important here, that there is a specific group who should be restoring. You who are spiritual. And when someone is caught in a trespass, when someone has fallen so low, low we ought to put yellow caution tape around the scene to keep unspiritual brethren away because they have the tendency to step on people, to use people as a leaping board, to elevate themselves above their situation. At least my situation ain't like that. At least I didn't fall like that. At least I ain't hurt. Look at their kids. Look how they messed up. We ought to be a church that the spiritual comes along those individuals. That's what community is about. When folks fall, we need some folks who are spiritual, 
that are willing. You know what this whole text gives you the illustration of? It's like a, a fracturing a finger. And you can't use this finger because it's like this. I've fallen so bad and my finger, my life is broken. I need somebody who is spiritual, will wrap themselves around me like a splint and walk with me until I can move my fingers again, when I can walk straight again, when I, woo! That's what spiritual folks do. They wrap themselves around that individual. They get in community and love on that individual to God heal, deliver, and break them free from their situation. Hallelujah, do you want any folks around you like that? That's what spiritual folks do. The statement reveals why some folks fall too. Because a lot of folks fall and they never make it up again because they're alone when they fall. We live in a world that folks are isolated. They're going through situations. They're messed up. They're in certain places of going to see people, people in isolation. They're living lives contrary to what they're living on Sunday. Leave here and, leave and live in isolation because they don't want folks to see how really ungodly they are. So they live a life of isolation because you don't want anybody to get close enough to you because if they really see who you are, that's not who I see on Sunday. On Sunday morning, you raising holy hand, shouting and giving God glory. But on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, you're somebody different. Isolation. Because I don't want folks to get close enough to me. Because if they get close enough to me, they can see who I really am. But that's what the Lord wants. He wants folks to get close to us. Because we've been giving out the wrong scenario, the wrong picture for a long time. This Christian life is hard, y'all. On this journey, we will have trials and tribulations. We will mess up. We will drop the ball. They need to see that we are a weak folks. That only because of the grace of God who comes and meets us, the mercy of God who meets us in our frailty, lifts us up, cleans us up, turns us around, and puts our feet back on solid ground. Folks need to see that, that they might see the church, that we might be the church. That's what community is about, inviting folks close to come in, that you can see me. Come on in my house. The way I sit next to my wife on Sunday is the same way I love her on Monday. Come on into my house. The way I speak to my son on Sunday is the same way that I speak to my son on Monday, Tuesday. When Come on to my job and see how I serve people, how I'm different, how my light shines. Come on in my house. Whoa! I felt that. I felt that down in my soul. Whoa! Mm. Folks don't want to be that transparent. We live in isolation. And folks are hurting right here in the sanctuary. I declare, right here in the sanctuary, in isolation, in some places you ought to not be in. 
doing some things you ought to not be doing, living a life that you are not declaring for the glory of God. Right here in the sanctuary. And I declare unto you, that's what community is about. That's why we have small groups. We don't want anyone walking alone. We don't want anyone isolated. We don't want anyone hurting and being out there all by yourself. That's why two years, two months, two, our two seasons, we had small group fellowship. But guess what, y'all? You ain't got to wait to this Sunday to be a part of a small group. You can grab some folks and say, hey, I'm just struggling. Can we just come in community? Can we just live together and walk this out? Will you walk this out with me? I'm broken right now. That's what the church is all about. That's what the world wants to see. The Bible says, how will they know that you are my disciples? Well, the answer is clear. By the way, you love one another. Can I get a witness to that? Amen. Amen. But not only that, but not only that, can I press a little more? It's, I got two more points and I'll be out your way. Two are better than one when you're in the cold. So many commentators naturally apply this principle. Two are better than one to marriage. And they are sure that this text is speaking of marriage when they read verse 11. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? To keep the text from suggesting something illicit, commentators quickly conclude that this verse is about a married couple. But there is no reference to marriage in this passage. Check it out for yourself. Again, this is a picture of a traveler on a journey. As he walks the road, night catches up with him, and the path gets dark and cold. Finally, he has to find a place to bed down for the night. But he is too far from the nearest inn. There may be no room in the inn. Or he may be in a desolate area where there is no home to offer a hospitality. So he has to sleep in the elements. Sure, he has a cloak and a tunic. But it is so cold that they are, not en- it's not, they are not enough to keep him warm. He does find himself in a situation where the elements puts his life in jeopardy. If the picture of verse 10 addresses the dangers of falling, verse 11 addresses the danger of freezing. And the point of verse 11 is that life will sometime leave you in the cold. Let me say it in another way. Verse 9 says that you need fellowship to succeed in your life. Verse 10 says you need fellowship to stand again when you fall. Verse 11 says that you need fellowship to survive when you are in the cold. There are times when you will be pushed out or pushed aside. You can be on the right road and still find yourself in a situation that is so severe 
that you cannot survive it on your own. We are not exempt from times of suffering, rejection, or disappointment. And you will need, hallelujah, others who will warm you up when life leaves you in the cold. You will need friendship and support, encouragement and necessity and accession, generosity of others to warm you up when life leaves you in the cold. The late Dr. E.K. Bailey, in a sermon he told his senior year at Bishop College, he said he preached at seven vacant churches, and each one called someone else, hurt, frustrated, and disillusioned. He determined he would never preach at a vacant church again. But when he preached at the eighth vacant church, Dr. C.A.W. Clark of the Good Street Baptist Church in Dallas walked in the other side. He had left his pulpit on a Sunday morning to support Belly. When they asked him to have words, he told that congregation, I can't vote, but I can hope. And I hope that you vote for this, 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 this young man. He has full potential. And he has suffered some disappointment, but I stake my ministerial reputation on this young man. He will be a blessing to you if you give him a chance. Well, Dr. Belly said that church called him a few months later, not so much because of his giftedness, but because of the recommendation. Well, I submit to you this morning, you, that there will be times in our lives when we need a Caesar Clark to come in the side door of our life and encourage us when we are in the cold. We all need some folks that when we are in our deepest, darkest moment, when it's cold in our walk, that we need some folks that'll just show up out of nowhere. That's what happened with me and Kelly. We were ready to have our second child. And God decided he chose for us not to have it. So we lost our child. We were discouraged. We were depressed. And we were sad. But God, in his love and his mercy, reached some people all the way up in Hatfield, PA, told them to come down the turnpike, come on down to South Philly, and come into our door because they need you right now. We all need some folks that are willing to make a sacrifice and come in the coldest moments of our life. Anonymous author wrote, I went out to find a friend, and they were nowhere. And I went out to be a friend, and they were everywhere. You can't live in a way that keeps everyone at arm's length, demanding your space. Then accept, expect people to rush to lie next to you when life leaves you in the cold. Need to develop and maintain intimate relationships a mutual trust when the sun is shining. That way, when life leaves you in the cold, you have someone close enough to lay 
beside you to keep you warm. Can I press this last point and I'll be out your way? Two are better than one when you are in a fight. I know that's right. <laughs> Woo, we can pop and stop right there, right? <laughs> Verse 12 says, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. The statement confronts us with the fact that you may be attacked along life's journey. You may be the victim of personal attacks. Some personal attacks come from people you don't even know. Indeed, people don't have to know you not to like you. Some people just don't like the way you look. Even worse, some personal attacks come from people you know really well. Amen. That is, there are times you are attacked by people who are supposed to be working with you and walking with you. Anybody ever experienced that? You will be attacked by people you thought were on your side. Moreover, if you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, you will experience spiritual attacks. That's what Ephesians chapter 6 is all about. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities, demons, and wickedness in high places. We will uh, come up against spiritual attacks. But not only that, our common enemy, the devil, and all his satanic forces are strategically working to undermine and overthrow our commitment to Jesus Christ. And there will be times when your faith is attacked and you will inevitably, inevitably discover that spiritual victory often requires fellowship with others as well as faith in God. There are some attacks whew, you cannot face on your own. There are some battles you can't fight on your own. There are some enemies you cannot defeat on your own. There's some attitudes you can't change on your own. There are some habits you can't break on your own. There are some problems you can't solve on your own. There are some needs you can't meet on your own. That's why we have community. That's why we come together. That's why we need unity. That's why we need one another. There's some things that you've been trying to win over and over again. And you see yourself every time you take three steps forward, you're two steps behind because you're trying to fight this thing all by yourself. God in his infinite mercy and his love chose us to come here at Manoa Community Church that we might be here to help one another through our situation. Hallelujah. I like that because the sister said in their class, when you know a small group uh, that stuck out to me when she said that, when you know the hand of God and you know why you're suffering, you'll understand why God brings people around you. Wow, he, he orders your steps. Some of us 
from Virginia, some of us from North Carolina, some of us from South Carolina, some of us from Delaware, some of us up in Harrisburg, some of us in North Philly. I don't know where you came, right here in Havertown. When you understand the hand of God and why God moved in your life, how allowed circumstances and all kinds of situations to steer you and get you right here to Manoa. Once you understand God's hand, that all along he's been ushering you with his rod and his staff and leading you right here because somebody needs to hear you. Somebody needs to hear your story. Somebody is hurting right next to you in the pew. Somebody needs you in community right next to them. Somebody marriage is almost getting ready to end and they need to know that God can fix a marriage and you are a witness. Whoa! Mm. Two are better than one when you are in a fight. That's what I like about Ephesians. You know, the Bible says put on the whole armor of God. One thing that stuck out to me is that when these Soldiers went to battle, legions of soldiers. The Bible never says anything about putting on something on your back. I don't know about you, but when I go into battle, I want some folks around me that got my back. I, got some, I want some homies that's willing to get in that battle with me and say, Ron, I got your back. I'm going to watch your right and I'm going to watch your left. I got you, brother. Ain't nobody going to mess with you. That's what happened when we used to fight in the neighborhood. My whole family had my back. And I pray that we as a church here at Manoa will have each other back. That we will look out for one another. When we see our brother or our sister in the heat of battle, when they are messing up, when they have fallen, that we will have their back, that we will come behind. I got you, brother. I got your back. No matter what your situation, I'm here for you. I'll walk. The Roman soldiers never thought about that because they went out in legions. But can I just point this out? What an awesome illustration that is. When two can come together. What an awesome illustration that is. How they can defeat someone in a battle. I wonder if that's what Jesus was talking about. When he said, when there's two or more touching and agreeing in my name, there I am in the midst. Imagine if you touch with me and I touch with you and so we can overcome this and we pray and put our faith, put all our trust and our hope in the Lord. I believe when God sees faith like that, when he sees believers coming together, touching and agreeing in community, God shows up right in the midst of that community and start doing supernatural things because my faith plus your faith and God's power is an explosion about to happen. Hallelujah. How <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to get out your way. I feel like a Baptist preacher. 
I'm about ready to close now, but never close. You just keep on going on and on. But I'm really getting ready to close. This, it just feels so good to me up here. This text feels so good because one of the things I, I really have seen over my walk in the church, folks come in, go right back out, get hurt by the world, come right back in, get hurt by the world. There's never any connection. My desire, Pastor Stephan desire, the elders, the deacons, and we the members of Manoa. Our desire is that you don't walk in isolation, that you don't get hurt, that you don't just come in here. We want to be a sticky church, that when you come here, you stuck to me. I don't care where you're going. I know your situation. I'm right there, right next to you. That's what we want to be. Is that the witness? Is that the testimony that you believe that's what God has called us to be and to do? But can I contradict this point that I've been making in this sermon? There's one occasion when one is better than two. There is one occasion when it comes to the matter of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Elvis Presley supposedly wore a cross, a star of David, and other religious medals around his neck. Someone once asked him, Elvis, why do you wear all these ornaments or these things? What is your religious belief? He replied, well, I don't want to miss getting into heaven on a technicality. Well, I came to serve notice, covering all the bases of religious truth, claim will not make you right with God. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the meeting place of time and eternity. Jesus is the intersection between earth and heaven. And the only way to be saved is to run to the cross and put your faith in Jesus who died for our sins and rose from the dead. Somebody this morning needs to make a decision this morning that Jesus is the only way. You've been living in isolation. You've been trying to do it by yourself. But you need to choose this morning. The Bible says, choose ye today whom you're going to serve. Will it be God or will it be man? The choice is before you. You have a choice to make this morning. We didn't come to play church. We didn't come to have church. This is real. This is serious. Heaven and hell is your place. You have to choose which one. And my suggestion to you, why would you go to hell when heaven is a prepared place for you? Why would you walk away from this good news this morning? Because there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. There's not a friend like Jesus. No one else can heal all our diseases. No one, no, not one. No friend like him is so high and holy. No, no, not one. No, not one. 
No friend is so meek and lowly. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles, and he will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. 